0: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 213. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and this episode is myself and my friend and colleague, Nick Katie, answering listener questions that have been sent in uh, via our Instagram page, our Facebook group, and we wanna answer them for you, or at least do what we can to explain our position. Well, We answer questions about women in the pulpit, and then also speak about the ability that we want to cultivate to learn from people, even that we might disagree with. Uh, We talk about lay preachers and bivocational ministers, and then also answer a question about what translations we've found to be useful and worth consulting during sermon preparation. And so without any further ado, here's Nick, Katie, and myself answering your questions. Moving on to uh, our our, I think our second to last, or possibly our last question that came in. Second to last. Okay, this one says, y'all have had different, amazing, and diverse speakers on the podcast, including women preachers. Where does the Expositors Collective stand on women in the pulpit and women as pastors? So that's a that's a good question, isn't it, Nick?
1: It is a good question. I know it's one, you know, that people have asked me too. And yeah. so I'm glad that somebody wrote it in.
0: Yeah, certainly. And and for myself, as, as the one who arranges... Uh, you know, nearly all, if not all, of the interviews. I, I'll I'll start with that. So personally, uh, I don't think it's a, a secret or a surprise, but but I am a, a complementarian. Um, I believe that God has different roles for men and women, both in the home and in the church. Uh, which Nick, that's that's your view too, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I would say that's Expositors Collective view. If if we could speak on behalf of the the network or the organization, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's, so we're, yeah, we're complementarians in a complementarian organization. Um, however, uh, from the very beginning, um, I, I say this all the time, but we're we're not just a podcast. In fact, uh, a podcast is like totally tangential to what we do. Our first and primary ministry is these training events that take place. And in the very first planning meeting uh, that, uh, that we had to plan the first one in Thousand Oaks a couple of years ago, it was, you know, it was decided. It was agreed upon from the very start. Uh, we wanted men and women uh, to be present at our in-person training events, and the reason being, even though it was, you know, complementarians organizing this, realizing women do teach the Bible, um, that yeah. that the, the that is. Uh, a large portion of churches and parachurch organizations is ladies opening the Bible and explaining what it means and what it means to live in submission to what the Bible teaches. And so if this happens, whether it is in kids' ministries, women's ministries, uh, college, or, or any capacity— uh, we just want it to be as good as possible. And we believe we've stumbled upon some some principles and some ways to communicate God's word that we want people to know. And so from the very start, we've always wanted women to be present uh, to do so. So we've done that. And ladies have been like a pretty even large percentage of attendees at our in-person training events. I haven't seen any kind of a, a pie chart or a graph or anything, but... I would say close to 50%. Does that seem right to you, Nick?
1: I'd say maybe a little under 50%, okay. but I, okay. I know okay. that our desire is always that there would be more women, um, that we would have like a 50-50 split, you know, as far as who attends. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think if you would take a gross average of people in churches, whether complementarian or egalitarian, who are teaching the Bible, as you said, in children's ministries, in women's ministries, in discipling situations, etc. I mean, it's probably going to be split
0: 50-50. Yeah, yeah. And then this this question maybe specifically actually isn't asking about our in-person training events, but how, how it has to do with the, the speakers on the podcast. And so I have, I guess, yeah, been seeking out... Uh, Women to speak to on on the podcast, some of whom would be complementarians, like a, a recent conversation with uh, Christy Anubile. Um She had some really wonderful things to say about discipling relationships, and then also she's put a lot of a lot of work into understanding biblical genres. And I wanted to speak with her and allow others to be introduced to her and to her work and to learn about genres from her. Uh, And we've had, uh, yeah, certainly more than one uh, egalitarian or even like ordained uh, minister, thinking of, uh, you know, Susie Silk and others um, who do, you know, preach from a pulpit on a Sunday morning. And you know, to be honest, I I wouldn't do that at the church that that I pastor. And however, I still can and do want to learn from anyone that I can, <laughs> um, realizing that <clears throat> realizing that you know there is a whole lot that I like this this book. You know, the Bible is a big book, and there's a lot of people who have been studying it and have learned from it. And I want to learn from from them. And just because. Yeah, I believe that even if I disagree with somebody on a certain application of something, it doesn't mean that I cannot learn from them, nor that I would want to keep others from learning from the insights that they have. And so that's kind of been, for me anyway, some of the rationale between having uh, not only complementarian ladies, but even egalitarian ladies uh, on this podcast in the past.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I mean, if, even if we look at the book of Acts, we see, um, you know, Apollos learning from a couple, and of course, half of that couple is a woman. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, it doesn't mean that necessarily I would want to go to a church where, well, and I'm saying I wouldn't go personally to a church that was egalitarian. Now, some of our listeners might, and that's fine. Uh, m- my point is this. the, the body of Christ is diverse and it's big and it is absolutely okay for us to have our convictions and have them be biblically founded, but then also be able to say, hey, just like Apollos, I'm willing to learn from somebody who's gifted, even if I wouldn't sit under their authority as a leader in a church. Um, And so, yeah, personally, I know this, that there are, one one of the big arguments sometimes that's made for egalitarianism is that some women are very gifted teachers and preachers, and nobody denies that. The only response to that is some people would say, well, it seems that in the Bible, it, we're being told that um, women can't hold the position of pastor or elder. So really, that's the distinction. But as far as learning from gifted people, uh, I think that we should, as you said, want to learn from, from those who are gifted, even if we disagree on the application of, of leadership. Yeah,
0: certainly. And as, yeah, the, the feedback, every time there's a, a lady on the podcast, um, I generally get some some very strong opinions uh, sent to my, my private messages. And <clears throat> hopefully this helps or probably just kind of <laughs> invites more feedback. Um, but, you know, I, I do believe that if we want to improve, uh, that we need to learn from as many people and kinds of people as possible. And more could be said, and uh, but let's move on to the the next question. Uh, here's one. This one is saying, um, "I'm currently an elder at a Presbyterian church in South Carolina, preaching and teaching about once a month." Um, and then the, the question has to do with like uh, lay preachers and teachers and the importance of their roles to support the pastor and the body. Um, so I guess yeah, kind of the question is like, uh, what? What is there? What resources? What help can we offer for the the lay preachers and
1: the lay teachers? Nick, well, I think that's been a big part of what we do as as Expositors Collective. I think that we're very aware of the fact that most people who come to our events are not full time uh, pastors. Uh, many, and and actually, if you were to take a survey of all preachers pastors in the world, here is what you are going to find is that most are either bivocational or they are lay preachers who are, you know, working a full-time job and then Mm -hmm. serving at their church in some capacity. And and depending on the setup of a church, like it's more common in a Presbyterian church, for example, to have um, all of the elders or at least more than one elder preach regularly, which means that they are not um, in full-time ministry, as some people might say. And so, I mean, this is something we absolutely want to help equip because this is, again, the majority of people preaching and teaching the Bible around the world. And that's even true in the United States. So um, what do we do? Well, this is a big reason why we want to give tools to people like, here's how to write an outline. And here's how to maximize the use of your time. Let's say because you're working 40 hours a week, maybe you only have five to 10 hours to dedicate to sermon preparation here and there throughout the week. How can you use that time well, and how can you, you know, maximize that? So I think we've done quite a, quite a bit on that topic, maybe not directly saying, hey, this is for lay preachers, but if you listen to the podcast, if you come to the training events, you will definitely be equipped as a lay preacher with tools which will help you.
0: Yeah. And uh, episode 203... Which um, is actually, uh, we actually recently rebroadcast, Nick, an interview that you did with Cody King. And you guys had a, a, a long, like the whole middle of the conversation had to do with with lay preaching or bivocational preaching and ways to maximize the time. So that one came out, you know, about a year ago. But during the month of December, I kind of scheduled some, a few classics to be rebroadcast so that I could get a bit of a break and made sure to include that one, that that one could see the light of day. Because as, as you said, yeah, like statistically speaking, there's a lot more lay preachers than there are uh, full timers. And we full timers, <laughs> we're the ones who let's say have the time to do preaching podcasts and to, and and who are free to, to either do interviews or be interviewed. And so just particularly want to highlight uh, that subsection or that majority of the preaching cohorts on the face of the earth.
1: Mike, do you have a preaching team at your church? Are you the only one preaching or are there others?
0: Well, uh, no. There certainly is uh, a variety of teachers and preachers within the church, and I'm being very deliberate. I, I planned out the 2022 uh, preaching calendar, and really made sure that it's it's uh, utilized to to the maximum. That I've. Uh, instead of just having people fill in for me as I travel or if I get sick, but to have it already be scheduled that there is um, other preachers that are there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yes, there is a team. And I want to get away from that old default mode of they're only there for when there's an emergency. Uh, or, but it's, they're, yeah, they're planned into the schedule already.
1: That really helps them too, right? As lay preachers to certainly, know certainly, that I've got two months to prepare a message on whatever passage and I'm on the schedule. So I, I think that that really helps, especially somebody who has limited amount of time. Yeah, We also have a preaching team here at our church and two of the people on the team are lay preachers and they do a great job, but yeah, we do try and give them you know, sufficient notice. I think that's one thing that we can do to help lay preachers succeed. And then, also, you know, we've talked a lot about mentoring. That's a big part of what we do at the second day of the Exposers Collective training weekends, which is preaching mentorships. Which is where, you know, let's say you're somebody who's wanting to grow in your ability to preach, or you're a lay preacher how can you actually have a relationship with somebody who can look at your notes, how they can uh, help you along the way, you know, when you're not necessarily getting in the same amount of reps as somebody who Hmm. preaches weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, would you be interested, Nick, one of these days in interviewing one of the lay preachers on your team? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's highlight, let's highlight that. Uh, okay. Here is this is as far as I know. This is the last question. Uh, this question has to do with um, with Bible translations. Uh, how many Bible translations uh, should be? Yeah. So do sorry. Here's the actual question. So do you study and prepare from one translation, or do you use multiple translations in your
1: prep? So I use a primary translation for for teaching that so that everybody in the church, right? They know which Bible I'm preaching from. Our pew Bibles are of of a certain translation. We use the ESV English standard version. Um, But then when I prepare, of course, yes, that's a big part of my preparation is I'm checking how certain verses are translated in different translations. That's I use this website called Bible hub. So if you type in uh, one single verse of the Bible, Mm-hmm. And then you type Bible hub right after it in the search engine, it will bring that up. And that will actually give you like a whole list of that verse in many different translations. And that's just a free online resource that I use regularly.
0: And, and, and why, what's the point? Why do you do that?
1: Well, because I understand that uh, time that translation's taking place, right, a certain word could carry with it multiple meanings, or it could be understood in multiple ways, right? It could be translated in different ways. This is why we have different translations, because sure. the original text doesn't change. Our vernacular changes, but uh, sometimes, you know, looking at a couple different ways that that word or verse is translated gives you a fuller picture of what the author was intending or what that text means. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I did some... Um, work on my master's degree, reading Augustine's or Augustine's uh, book called On Christian Doctrine, which I assumed was going to be On Christian Doctrine. It turns (laughs) out that it's not. (laughs) I'm not sure who gave it that title, (laughs) but the book is actually on biblical interpretation, which I think could probably be a better title, but he's long passed away. So um, the whole thing is a manual on how to interpret the Bible well. And that tells us a lot. It tells us that he wrote this book not for preachers and uh, clergy, if you will. He wrote this book for all Christians, which tells us that he intended for all Christians to read the Bible, or at least that was his assumption that they would, and he wanted them to do it well. And his whole book is like, why is it that some passages of the Bible are hard to understand, and what should you do in order to understand them well? And one of his biggest um, takeaways was the one of the reasons why people struggle to understand a passage or one of the reasons why they interpret it incorrectly is because they misunderstand what is being said. And he said, one of the things you can do to avoid that is to read multiple translations, which also tells us that at the time of Augustine 400 AD, mm-hmm. that there were multiple translations, hmm, hmm. even in Latin, which was yeah. what he was reading in. And so, You know, considering that, I think it's really important that this has been something that's been taught even since the church fathers. Absolutely, you should read multiple translations when you're looking at a passage.
0: Yeah. Well, so you use, yeah, Bible Hub. Do you have one of those old fashioned uh, parallel Bibles?
1: I used to. I don't anymore. I just use... uh, I do use Logos, but I know that that's inexpensive software that not everybody has access to. Logos also, you know, it's very easy to read multiple translations next to each other. Certainly,
0: yeah. Well, thanks for highlighting the the, the free version. But yeah, I have... And you can hear it here. I have... uh, This is my today's parallel Bible. It's always on my desk. And it has the NIV, NASB, King James, and then New Living Translation. So I have made it a habit to always read it and at least those four. And then I have uh, a message uh, that I always consult. Rarely do I I quote it, but I often uh, do read that. I've got a Holman Christian Standard Bible that I look at as well too. But generally, only one, if any of those other translations are going to make it into the the sermon. And I only kind of would include it if it just says something in a really kind of catchy or novel way. But generally it's, it's ESV is what I preach from ESV is the Pew Bibles. And that is, I think, important for me, but there's got to be a reason to justify including a parallel quotation or another version into the Sunday sermon.
1: Yeah. I think that just reading multiple translations, um, is is an easy way to do something that uh, some people, you know, spend years preparing for, which is to be able to read the Bible in the original languages. And most of us are not going to have the time um, to go and and learn biblical Greek or Hebrew. And so this is a kind of a a way that we can do that people who are scholars who have dedicated their lives to this and sat on committees and decided, you know, what is being said. And then to look at a few different ones of those, I mean, that, that would save you uh, years, you know, and if you don't have (laughs) the time to go and learn those languages, just easy, look at a couple different translations and, and see how different people have understood certain words. And of course there are other online tools you can use for language things like blue letter Bible, uh, is very useful as far as giving you um, a concordance and a Greek, you know, and Hebrew concordance that would say, "Hey, this word can mean all these different things."
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess like maybe I should have explained when I said like I, I want to be very careful as far as like how many versions I'm quoting. Um, it's because I think I've sat under some Bible teaching in, in my younger years where essentially nearly every Wednesday night sermon or what you know, it, it, it would include a part when the preacher would just list off like 14 different translations and and there largely would be like only minute differences. But it was almost like, I don't know, have you ever written a paper and you you've got to like include stuff in there to fill up space to get your word count up? Right. It's like, what's the point? Why are you saying all of these when they basically are just kind of all saying the same thing and and minor different transitional ways. So so yes, I think it's important for the preacher or for the Bible teacher to be familiar with the different translations and bring only the best or the most noteworthy uh, into the public proclamation of God's word.
1: I totally agree. One time I sat in a Bible study. I don't know if it was a sermon. It was more like a Bible study, but the guy literally printed off from a concordance all the places in the Bible where the word joy is used. Yeah. And then he just like talked through it. Now I realize that's not the same as what you were talking about with Bible translations, but the feeling was probably similar. Like this is tedious. <laughs> it's not necessarily helping me. Yeah. And I agree with you. Um, not everything from your private study needs to go into your public proclamation, only that which is most helpful and necessary to helping people understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah certainly. yeah I agree. I mean yeah for goodness sake, just edit a little bit better everyone. Mm. <laughs> uh, you serve your people by what you cut out and there's plenty of ways for to get that content to people other in other means or forums but not everything needs to make it into the final draft.
1: Would you say Mike, therefore, going back to our previous question that the editing might be considered a undervalued part of sermon prep? Whoa,
0: yes, yes, definitely. Editing, (laughs) it's it's an act of love and Mm. there should be, and, and that's why the people who are the best at preaching, I think, they usually finish up their sermons a couple of days before they preach them. Now, again, that's you, Nick, that's not me, but during that time of just kind of like letting it sit there and then revisiting it and, and then looking at something that might have been special to you as you wrote it, but then looking at it, realizing "Eh, it's not really necessary.
1: Yeah. I mean, cutting your darlings, right? That's what we call that. And I know that there are times when like getting into a message, I've been like, I can't wait to, to talk about this part, because I think it's so cool. And then I felt the pain of actually hitting the delete button to get rid of that section, (laughs) because I realized that though it was cool to me, it's not really helpful for helping people understand this passage and apply it to their lives.
0: Yeah. Well, you have the opportunity, like you do the, your um, Whitefield's like sermon extra, is that right? Yes. So a lot of the things that you edit out they kind of get a second, a second chance at life, right? They do.
1: Yeah. And like tangential things, like, Uh you know, things that are like, this is cool, but it's not necessarily the main point. It gives us an opportunity to share those things with our congregation. And of course it's kind of an opt-in thing, right? Like nobody's required to sit there and listen to it. It also means that I don't, I don't feel the pressure of having to say everything that can be said about a passage on Sunday You know, if I've got like a 15 minute uh, video that I can do afterwards, then I can include some of that stuff that wasn't as uh, key or important or helpful, but yet is still somewhat interesting. And and people can watch it if they want or not.
0: Yeah. And likewise, community groups are a great um, avenue for that as well, too. Um, Extra stuff just gets put in the handouts for the community groups.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: Okay. Well... Thus concludes our our mailbag episode. Uh, I, I hope that hope that this is enjoyable for others. I, I like talking about this stuff. Nick, can I ask you a question? And Anytime. this might be, yeah, I might, I might regret doing this, but oh. we recently hit we recently hit the 200 episode uh, milestone of the podcast. Is, is there a podcast that is there an episode that that you liked or that you think people should know about? Can you, you want to shout out an interview that you thought was a good one?
1: Yeah, I have to say, I really liked your interview with John Tyson. I think I've listened to it twice. Um, and there are others I've listened to twice. But that one with John Tyson, um, I was one where I told other people, you have to listen to this. Uh, I just loved the way that he, he told his story about mm. discovering mm. Bible preaching, the way that he grew up. But also his enthusiasm is so infectious. So I would say um, that was my favorite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, he, he talks loud at times. Mm. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. There was some, some audio parts where he was just way too loud, uh, talking about, yeah, sitting under expositional Bible teaching for the very first time. And, uh, it caused him to shout many years Mm -hmm. later, even just like remembering it. So. Well, that's cool. Well, hey, thanks thanks for not leaving me high and dry and, and being like, Mike, I actually don't listen to that. <laughs> uh, well, Mike, let me ask you.
1: You've done over 200 episodes. What was your favorite episode?
0: Ah, uh, well, you know, I, I I actually, you know, I think one from the very early days with, with Ken Sutton. Now, now, he's just a good, faithful guy in kind of the Calvary Chapel world. Uh, and I just had such a good conversation with him. Uh, that just kind of got to some of the nuts and bolts of sermon preparation. Uh, I think he even talks about editing. He calls it like cooking down the sauce Mm. that you need to take all that you have and then kind of like let it simmer for a long time. So that kind of just like other stuff evaporates off and that you only have the, the quality stuff. I really enjoyed that. But he talks about how every week he thinks it's so important that at the end of the sermon, he looks at his church and he says, I love you. And saying that you know for some people, that's the only time they're going to hear it that whole week. And he doesn't want people in his church to wonder if they're loved. And um, I just thought that was such a, uh, such an out of the box and really encouraging aspect to his character and another aspect of pastoral ministry. because in this podcast and, and our, our expositors collective, we focus on one part of pastoral ministry. Which is preaching. But there's so much more than just preaching. And if, if people only get good sermons, but they don't know that they're loved, then I think that there's a, a gap in there as well. So I'm thankful
1: to Ken Sutton for highlighting that. Yeah, that's really good. I remember that episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. Always a pleasure. We'll do this again, I don't know, in a couple months. Maybe when we collect enough questions to, to merit another another one of these.
1: Sounds good. I look forward to it.
0: All right. Thanks, Nick. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word.